Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell West. And sunny isn't the word for it, blazing hot, unbreathably laden with pollen and generally uh, not the sort of weather I enjoy here in High Wycombe. There are people out there basking, I can tell you, basking they are. Uh, could, could some more of you um, book time off to, to do barbecues? That's guaranteed to bring on the rain. That's true. The, the plants need it. Can, can consider it your contribution to the ecological balance of the area. Anyway, this time we are returning to matters of history as a sequel to the matters of history we touched on last time. And Roger would like to say something at this moment in time. Yes, a, a number of people have sent us some money. Uh, thank you very much. It does encourage us to keep doing this. Okay. Uh, thank, thank you specifically to Glenn Lewis, Robert Wolfe, Dave Morris, John Hagen and Phil Masters. Thank you all for being connoisseurs uh, and people who know what is good for, uh, for, for you. Um, I should mention that I will be up... Are you going to be with me at StabCon? I do indeed plan to yeah. be at StabCon, which will be happening about two to three days after this. Drops. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, so, so it's too so, late to join now, but it's great. You should be there. Yeah, but it, we, we think it's going to be fun. Up in Stockport um, on the first weekend in July. And let us get back to the good old days. <laughs> We're recording this bit a little later than the rest of the programme, um, so if there's a difference in the sound quality, you'll know why. And we're doing it because at the last moment, just before the podcast dropped, Bundle of Holding, our esteemed friends at the Bundle of Holding, uh, announced that they are, for the very first time, um, featuring our favourite, I think that's fair to say, our favourite role-playing system, GURPS, uh, in three separate offers, uh, which looked to us to contain not all. You couldn't contain all of GURPS in um, in just three three offers, but um, enough core of the core system for anybody to get up to speed um, to use, use GURPS, and possibly some of them may even appeal to uh, long term GURPSers who haven't picked up the books for particular areas. Yeah, uh, uh, there are over 300 GURPS publications, depending on how you count them. There's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, yeah, uh, but there, there's there's all the third edition catalogue, which Oh, is yeah, we're not even, not even thinking about well, that. Oh, you weren't? Yeah, true. And there are dozens, hundreds of PDFs um, of the... Um, um, uh, of the current of the current edition, yeah, I, I have a search engine down to the tiny. I have a search engine for private use, and I have three hundred ninety-eight files, over eighteen thousand pages. Mm. All right, and people well, say, you know, hey, it's not in my local game shop. Goats must be dead. Yeah, and this really well, quite irks me. Okay, it, it irks us all. Another thing that irks us, I think it irks us both, I think, is that people feel that GURPS is impenetrable and hard to master. I think well, that is a legitimate complaint. You reckon? Yeah, if you, I, are, if you are a new gamer, or if you're even new to GURPS, 
Yeah. The first thing you want to do as a player is generate a character. You've got 240 plus pages of oh, what is all this stuff? If well, you're if you're a GM, you've got 500 plus pages of I've got to choose which from among this stuff I'm going to use in my game. And right, in both these I, cases you want to play first so that you know how the game works and then you say okay these are the things I want to use and these are the things I don't. That that is a real problem and it's a, one of the books in here that attempts to solve it and does a not terrible job. Which is uh, there are three separate offers here. Uh, essentials, fantasy, and space. Um, so, in the essentials, and in the, in the basic mode of the essentials that you get, how, however much you pay, mm. uh, is how to be a GURPS GM. Yeah. Which, I mean, one could argue, and people have argued, that this should perhaps have been in the basic set, but it's there, it's essentially... The sort it, it it's halfway between here is how to GM and here is how how to do GURPS specifically. So you know, if if you haven't GM'd before at all, you'll get at least some help from this. If you have, there is still stuff that is valuable. Uh, essentially, it's how do you pick all those things? How how do you cut down all the stuff in the list to the relatively small fraction of it that you will use in this particular game? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. oh well, and uh, and that's becoming a more of a necessity now that uh, there is the uh, the GURPS character generator and other uh, other fine uh, software aids that you need to be able to input into that the uh, uh, the the things that you want and no more. Yeah, though I think however you're putting your character together, whatever software you are or aren't using, the GM has to say, okay, people in this campaign don't get to buy flight, for example. And they and they don't get get to buy Fusion Gunman Portable Tech Level 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should say, this offer does not have anything that I wrote in it, and therefore it is rubbish. But apart from that... Leaving Roger's uh, Roger's wounded pride aside, uh, we'll, we'll put a, uh, we'll, we, you can put a mention of your uh, of your masterpiece into into, into the show notes. Uh, uh, this is yeah. this is um, the, 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 the you get the basic set, um, a book on template on templates. Um, uh, friend a friend of the podcast William Stoddard's adaptations, which is about how to turn an already existing work into something that can be played in GURPS. Um, uh, a lot of tech stuff. Um, the uh, the ultra-tech, Well, hang on. Tech. That, 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 let's pause there, because that's the basic thing. Um, okay. Yeah, Template Toolkit 1 is essentially... One of one of the solutions to the player-side problem is to have a template. and that, So you say... I, I will pick the um, you know, the private investigator in this noir yeah. campaign, and that will then say here are here are the rough stats and pick this from this list and that from that list and so on. And mm. template toolkit is essentially how to write those templates. So if, yeah. if you're writing your own campaign, uh, you can provide these to the players and make it easier for them than just saying, well, here's the book and cross out half of it. Mm. Uh, adaptations. 
Adaptations has a bit of an elephant in the room. I mean, it would be nice if it had something from this century or indeed from the latter half of last century in its examples. But for reasons, uh, all the works had to be out of copyright. So that wasn't an option. I can't. I I can't say that he he didn't choose good or at least interesting stuff um, to uh, to detail. Um, his uh, examples include the Odyssey, Dracula, um, Alice in Wonderland. Am I remembering that right? Uh, it's been a while since I used it. It has just come out uh, yeah. in print on demand as well. Got a nice shiny cover and everything. Uh, yeah, there's that, not bad stuff. We've got The Odyssey, The Water Margin, Pride and Prejudice, 20,000 Leagues, Dracula, and The Wizard of Oz. Mm. I think... Book, I think not I, film. Yeah. Um, I, it, it shows... They're all, they all look usable, and it shows... Mm. Oh, sure. At least what, one person's mental process of how to, how to take the, uh, the, the world, somebody else's world and express it in GURPS. Hmm. And certainly, if, if you are designing your own campaign, it is a jolly useful tool. Uh, the other other thing mentioned here is the uh, GM screen, which I'm not sure how useful it would be in PDF only, but certainly as a physical artefact, it's extremely useful. Running online, I find it very useful because I have one document with all the tables and I don't have to go hunting through books. Mm-hmm. Um, well, most of the tables. Uh, the uh, the second half of the essentials. Um, yeah, so the, this is the if you pay more than the average price thing. Yep, is includes uh, all the tech uh, six of the tech books, um, it, which are well, basically that, that's, arms. that's a bit of a that's a bit of marketing there. Um, yes, you get the high tech weapon tables, but that is just some tables from high tech in convenient mm. format. Okay. And unless you do a lot of looking up gun stats in the middle of play, then I don't think I've ever actually used it. Uh, same with the Ultratech weapon tables. They are just the tables from Ultratech. Okay. They are both right, of those... Four, are, four tech, uh, tech uh, supplements. Both of those are extremely useful books, which I have used a lot. Um, they, that regular listeners will know that, that that's the... you know Contemporary and future tend to be the periods I run in rather than historical... Mm. or fantasy. Uh, I find these jolly useful in general. Um, Ultratech in particular has some definite tiers of, you know, near future and we're still using projectile weapons, and then a step up and the uh, we're shifting over to uh, lasers and things, and they have quite different flavours. Um, they they are the high-tech Ultratech are, are weapons and equipment on weapons and equipment. Yeah, okay, there is, a, there is a bit of an emphasis on guns. Not as much as there was in 3rd edition. Biotech is about science fictional type um, uses of uh, biological um, te- technology. Well, it, it does current day stuff as well. It, it, it's I've not actually found it terribly useful, possibly because of the sort of games I've run. I feel the sort of game you 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 want this for is essentially biopunk, you know, mm. where biological uh, manipulation is whether magical or or technological. That doesn't really matter, but is much more significant to the world than it is for us, and it's pretty significant yeah. for us. Um, 
I would like to build something off it, but I've never actually done so. Low Tech is the is the book if you want to do historical games which don't have guns. And there's uh, it's interesting in itself um, about uh, about the various stages of uh, historical technological development, and it has a number of PDF spin-off uh, books about which are, which are not as- included. Which are not included, but are well worth your time uh, about various aspects of low tech societies. Finally, in that package, there is GURPS Mass Combat, which I've used a little bit in its primary function of when my characters get involved in a war, how do I resolve who wins and whether my characters live? Which yeah. is what the system is designed for. Yeah, you could technically, if you wanted to, use it as a sort of war game, but that's really not what it's intended for. It is much more, as you say, uh, there is going to be a battle happening and my characters want to help one side or the other. What can they do to help tip the balance? Uh, and how effective is it going to be anyway? Yeah, it's 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 very useful, in, and it is usefully generic um, in as much as you can use the model for just about any time period, including fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, I mean, it does inevitably mean you lose a bit of flavour, but yeah, that's the trade-off you make. Shall we go on to fantasy? Yeah, offer number two. Uh, so the the anchor of this is uh, fantasy for 4th edition. Now, old GURPS hands will remember that there was a thing called GURPS fantasy for 3rd edition, which essentially described the Bainstorm world. Yeah. Uh, these are now two separate books, both of which are here. So there's GURPS Fantasy, which is how to build a fantasy campaign. Mm-hmm. And there is GURPS Bainstorm, which, yeah, which is um, this specific example of a fantasy game. The, the GURPS Fantasy is what I think I would call, I'm not sure if anybody else does, a genre book. Mm. It's about all the different types of uh, fantasy campaigns and their constraints and what you've got to think about before... You you set them up. It has one worked as an example, I think, um, and is not at all bad. But Bainstorm is a world book. It's about a, their their house um, fantasy setting, which some people like, like me, and some people don't like. Fools. Um, I, I and, admit I'm not a huge fan, but yeah, I mean, all right. No, I don't object to it. It just doesn't seem to have much to offer. But anyway, okay. Uh, what you also get there is GURPS Magic for fourth edition, which uh, th- there are a few spells in the basic set, uh, just as there are you know, a few psionic powers and a few other things. Um, yeah. But GURPS Magic, th- this is the uh, traditional magic system, and my word, it does show its dungeon bashy roots at times. <laughs> yeah. It is also beloved of people who like plugging spells together to say, well, if I do this and this, and then this and this, then, then I can turn mm-hmm. that... that um, Swamp into solid gold twice a day. Oh. <laughs> what my players have been known to do with essential fire is 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 nobody's business. Um, yes, it is. It, it has. So, I, I, it I creaks, just yeah. It creaks a bit, but of the of the many game systems that uh, that Gertz, many magic systems that Gertz now has, uh, this uh, this one is the. Um, it, it, is that it is the easiest in play, and I find it the simplest um, uh, 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 to uh, to manage as a games master. 
I think if you want more fun, I want to be a really playing a really cool wizard. You need to look at one of the books we'll mention in a moment. Yeah, um, I think it's fine in the sort of game it's designed for. I mean, mm. an actual dungeon bash, yeah, that, that's not a problem. Uh, I think if you tried to use it as a generic magic system, plug it into some other world, you might well it might well not be great. Uh, the other thing in, in the basic side of the fantasy is uh, Alphabet Arcane, which is uh, essentially 26 magical items. Yeah. Uh, some of them really quite impressive and some of them frankly terrifying. Okay. Moving on to the to the bonus level is Thaumatology. Yeah, which is okay. I I am biased. I was a playtester. Well, okay, I was a playtester on many of these, but this is yeah. what I, what I remember the playtest of when the author gave his eye for knowledge. He got better. Uh, huh. Yeah, this is not only um, all the other magic systems for GURPS. It is how to design your own magic system for GURPS. Yeah. And yeah, this is quite possibly my favourite GURPS book. Uh, certainly one I've got an awful lot of use out of. Me too. It uh, it took all the game systems that had been made up for 3rd edition, brought them up to 4th edition, and then played around with them a lot. Yeah, and so if, if you liked, for example, the, 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 what was it, Spheres in GURPS Mage, well, we've got a version of that here, and how to define your own with slightly different overlaps and things. Yeah, it's it, uh, and so, and then so, some other people and Phil himself, Phil Masters, the author of this, uh, went and used thaumatology as the basis for the six thaumatology source books uh, that are also in the bonus titles. Yeah, they're, they're um, quite a different bunch. They, uh, are, they are diverse. Uh, magical styles is essentially mostly for traditional spell magic, but it, it's essentially giving you spellcasting perks to go along with mm. the, the martial arts um, perks. Uh, sorcery is a, a first attempt at turning the traditional magic system into something using using the standard powers framework instead. Um there were, in theory, going to be uh, books developing more of those, but they don't seem to have turned up for the most part. Uh, Ritual Path Magic is a very high-power improvisational magic system that, well, its roots are in thaumatology, but I think it was first published in Monster Hunters. Yeah. Uh, And those are basically books of system. Uh, Then you have Age of Gold and Alchemical Baroque, which are settings which have a lot of magic in them. Uh, Age of Gold in particular ha- uh, came out quite soon after Thaumatology, and I think it has four or five different magic systems in, in a uh, world of pulp heroes. Yeah. That's great fun. Um, Alchemical Baroque is, is more the um, fairy tale of Europe mm. style of things. And uh, Urban Magics is... Yeah, again, it's the Thaumatology book, and it's saying here here are specific things that work well in cities. Here are some um, templates for magical people in cities. Yeah, uh, here are some urban focused styles like uh, rat piping. Okay, the uh, let me see now. The third uh, third offer is GURPS Space. Um, space is um, big, really big. 
Um, it contains the genre book, uh, Gert Space for Fourth Edition. Yeah, the, the counterpart of fantasy. If you want to run a science fiction campaign, here are the yeah. choices you're going to have to make. Yeah. And uh, there's also GURPS spaceships um, and GURPS psionic powers. Spaceships yeah. is the how to design your spaceships book. And psionic powers is also um, a little generic, but but adaptable to, um, uh, to, to a lot of settings. Well, yeah, I mean, th- these both get extended in, in the um, higher value section of the bundle. Uh, so in the core you get spaceships one. In the upper bit you get six more of the spaceships books. I I, I don't know which one they've actually left out, um, but you, that there's one missing. I assume it's transhuman space because that that's only really useful if you're playing transhuman space. Yeah. Um, the spaceship system is oh, probably the easiest to use spaceship design system that I have used in an RPG, and I've used most of them. Uh, particularly if you don't really care about the cost of something, then, well, you've got 20 slots to fill. Uh, you put an engine into this slot, and it'll it'll tell you the performance of the spaceship. You put a fuel tank into this slot, it'll tell you how long you can burn that engine for. Um, you, you, put, you have a, a standard modular weapon of that size that you put in one of the slots, and so on. And it's the, really the only thing that is more complex than that is adding up the costs, if that is the thing that matters to you. It's a lovely system. I'm, I'm very fond of it. We, t- we talked about it at some length in uh, episode 70. Okay. Um, I should mention that GURP Space contains the current version of their planetary system, random roll-up and or design. It's, it's interesting. It's also, even now, I think a little behind the, um, the current level of, uh, of, of space science of what we're learning. From nearby solar systems. Yeah, it, it was up to date at the time it was published, but obviously. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think most referees are going to need uh, most of what of what's in there. But if you do need as full astrological, astrological, astronomical details of the solar systems you're working in then this can give it to you. Most also, people... quite an important point. Um, you, c- you can tell it, I want a habitable planet. Give me a system in which that will plausibly happen. You don't, have, you don't end up saying, well, you know, just generate the system randomly and then see if anywhere is habitable. It's, yeah. uh, you, you can, do it. I, you can I, run it inside out. As, as Traveller showed and continues to show, you can make do with just the details of the world the people have settled on. And uh, how big the spaceport is, but uh, there's a lot more stuff uh, here for, in background to to make the place feel real, hmm. which is always a good thing. Um, and as you say, the the bonus set level contains most of the space star, spacecraft catalogues. In particular, you want number seven um, because if you want to complicate things, number seven is is the one you want. Uh, you, you've got this uh, standard GURPS uh, exponential scale of you know, one step up the size ladder is yeah. three and a, you know, about three times the size, and, and another step brings you to ten times where you were before. Uh, the variant rules in Spaceship 7 say, okay, you've, you've got a you know, size 9 spaceship, but 
in one of its slots you can put three size 8 type systems. Uh, so if you if you have more complexity that you want to model, you can still do that without getting into the whole let me account for every cubic meter. Okay, that's that's for the exotic spaceships. Um, well, it's diversion. It, it's also got the stuff for you know monosails and things. Um, okay. But the point, as far as I'm concerned, is that if you want to say, well, you know, we've we've got. Uh, lasers, but they're just little lasers for mining. They're not, you know, great big lasers for blowing up other ships. They don't take a third of the size of the ship and need their own dedicated power plant. Uh, you can mm. you can do that. So it, okay. it just gives flexibility. Psionics is uh, that the th- there are three psionic source books: one of characters, one of tech, and one of suggestions for campaigns, which go with uh, the psionic powers that's in the basic yeah. half of this. Yeah, I, I've used this quite extensively. I, I ran a campaign um, that's right, yeah. with, with the players uh, as um, among the first psychic, psionic people in the 1960s. Um, they go pretty well together. They, they were written by the same person at a similar sort of time. Uh, I would say psionic powers is definitely the most useful of them, Um if only because you can you can plug it into a bunch of different things, but size gets you. Um, I can't remember. I think the proper term is lenses. Basically, little packages of a fixed cost. So, you, so you can say, um, have a template with a fifty-point sonic powers slot, and then there are several fifty-point sonic powers packages that you can drop into it. Yeah. Uh, side tech is. Yeah, psionic amplifiers and stuff like that. That's never really been a principal interest for me. Uh, and psionic campaigns is essentially what sort of, you know, what what campaigns work best with this sort of power. Uh, what 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 are the themes going to be? You know, is it is it going to be the alienation thing? Is it going to be um, the psionic tyranny and so on? Mm. Just work, works through uh, various options there. The final, uh, the final book we will mention is Tales of the Solar Patrol, namely men in in atomic powered uh, uh, spaceships uh, and and hot jets and, and a blaster against the terrible lizard men of Saturn. I, I think it was Saturn. Uh, yeah, I think came so. from. And uh, this is uh, a pastiche taken seriously enough in GURPS terms. Um, for of uh, it's a pastiche, of, not a parody. Yeah, it, it's it, it it's uh, it, it's about the, uh, the 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 fantasies of yesterday, and uh, how how you how you can still thrill thrill to them. I yeah, say. There, there's a lot of Buck Rogers. There's a lot of um, triplanetary. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not. Okay. It, it's odd because it's. Um, it came out, and essentially nothing happens. They may well be people using it. I just don't hear about them. Um, mm. there, there, I think there is a lot of fun to be had here. All right. Let me... Um, now we've gone through the whole uh, whole offer, which uh, is... Uh, look, they, they reckon that, on average, each of these three offers, if you bought it um, from uh, Steve Jackson Games outside the bundle, would be about... $150 worth. Um, so they are... 
the the base cost. Um, well, actually, the threshold price is about thirty five dollars to take all of each bundle. Yeah, it may well have gone up by the time this comes out. It does gradually go up over time. Uh, so so uh, buy early and buy often. Um, uh, I cannot see that that, that is not a, a good deal. Except if you're uh, GURPS completist like me and have the whole damn lot already. Mm. I want to go back. I want to go back to what Roger said earlier about difficulty. Maybe I'm different because I started with GURPS from the very beginning, and I was already um, uh, an experienced role player and um, and a bit fed up with some of the stuff that I had. Mm. This was the first designed character system I came across uh, that I actually liked. Hero um, predates it, but Hero started out as champions and there was something flavourless and um, uninteresting about a system that had started out doing something as abstract as any possible superhero game. And GURPS was built out of, well, first of all, out of yeah, Steve Jackson's experience with the fantasy trip, and then went on to be developed via Man to Man, which was the the ver- the earliest version of just the combat system. Yeah, it, it was released early because there were problems getting the whole book together. It wasn't well, ori- originally planned as a separate release, but yeah, but I still think that that the that the game system is built around modeling. Hum- First of all, modeling human beings of average, if heroic, ability and not demigods. Mm. And it start, It has a re- realistic set of biases, though it's surprising how far off realism it can, uh, it can still model. I don't think that GURPS Girl, Girl Genius worked too well, but GURPS Discworld was um, a really wonderful success. Uh, and, and somehow the the realism or the grittiness of the character level worked well with that sort of fantasy. And I think um, a fairly gritty level of fantasy is often the very the best thing. Though it'll go right up to uh, to demigods and and dragon slayers. Yeah, I I haven't played supers in fourth edition, though I I am told by people who have that it works a lot better than third did. Uh, it, it, it's quite viable now in, in a way that could get quite silly before. Yeah, I uh, I haven't gone back to it uh, to GURP supers since uh, fourth edition, so I have no opinion. But I what I'm saying is that I think it's perfectly possible to slowly jam uh, the details of GURPS into your brain. You don't have to encompass it all. Start with GURPS light. It's what it's there for. And uh, and start to feel your way into uh, via GURPS light into the way that the various subsystems work. I still don't know. I still don't have in permanent memory large parts of uh, of the GURPS system. I've I've skimmed over them, and I know where to find them when I need them. I certainly don't keep the brawling system in my brain. Nobody keeps the brawling system <laughs> in their brain. I think that's true of all brawling systems. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, I've I've run a lot of demo games with people who haven't played GURPS before, and the general 
the way that goes is I introduce some stuff on the character sheet because it uses language in a slightly weird way. And then they say, well, I want to try to do this. And I would say, okay, roll, roll 3d6 against your that skill. And they say, hmm, yeah, okay, manage that. And the complexity can certainly be hidden. The problem is if you don't have somebody who already knows the system in the group and you're trying to spin up from a, from a standing start. Um, yeah. We are available for very reasonable fees. Uh, um, I, I do think how to be a GURPS GM is, is a good step in the right direction on that. Yeah, don't don't try and swallow it all at once. You'll make yourself ill. But do pick it up and scoop through it. There are a lot of games I've picked up since uh, GURPS 4th edition which I find are not going into my brain, but then that may be uh, the fact that my brain is already filled with GURPS and I'm getting very old and inflexible. Well, there, there were two reasons given for, for a generic system back in the day. Yeah. Um, one is that you can take your characters from one game to another, and I don't think that's particularly important anymore. I mean, there is infinite worlds, but it's not a big part of the GURPS that people play, I think. Uh, the other is you don't have to learn a whole new system when you're starting a new campaign, and I think that does still stand. Yeah. Uh, e- uh, even if you were using, you know, bows last time and blasters this time, they there are some differences, but they are still ranged weapons that you have to aim. Yeah. Your sword, your sword. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a, a, a if it's steel or or bronze or a, or a force sword. It's still a melee weapon held in your hand, and that uses the same systems. Your ranged weapons have the same range of stats, though the automatic weapons get a, a bit more complicated. Um, it's all. It, it is for the most part. I, like all GURPS heads, I have. My arguments with bits of the latest revisions, but um, I, I, te- I, I can I can remember how it used to be, and um, <laughs> I can even use the new ones if I if I like. But on the whole, it's built solidly. It's built with a realistic um, set of assumptions, and when it goes outside normality as we know it, it does so from normality as we live it. And that's a really good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I. it's not the only system I use. It's not the system I would use for everything, but it is certainly the first system I look at when I'm considering a new campaign. Yeah, I, it must be said. Um, unlike, uh, it, it is my default, it is my default go, go-to model for how to do role-playing, and we, we, recommend, we would like more people uh, to take a look at it. Uh, two small notes on this one these all end on Monday the 18th of July yep. and two we usually put in a disclaimer about how they give us these things as, as freebies uh, they haven't this time but on the other hand I think we both own all this stuff anyway so yep. I, even, I even have an alphabet arcane I'd forgotten that I had that <laughs> onwards Returning to what I think I'm almost definitely sure we're going to call a gameable age after last month's epic 
exposition of the Civil War for about half of this um, podcast, I hope, because uh, I really don't know as much about the period this time, which is the Restoration, as I picked up about the Civil War over the years. Um, but we have uh, received one response which uh, to, to last time, which I wish to comment upon, and that was from the exalted and, and noble and, and distinguished Dave Morris. For, we are um, not worthy. We are, we are very, very slightly unworthy. Um, who says he prefers social history. And I've got to say, yes, I understand that preference. And yes, it's very valuable when it comes to creating a, uh, a another period of history for fiction and the sort of interactive fiction that we do. But it's also a lot harder. I think also you tend to write run higher level games than I do. You know, you you, yeah. you, are, you are more um, happy to do the court intrigue game. At which point, what the king is like and what people think of him are vitally important matters. Yeah, but um, that said, uh, that said, I, I I think it's that I want to give my players the maximum amount of input in a period of history, in a period of um, of change and new things coming along. Mm. And that that and that means being among the the movers and shakers. Also, that said, I my last game, a campaign that I found was really successful with the one that I'm writing up for A and E right now um, is the Lictors camp was was the Lictors campaign, a group of uh, investigators going before um, an imperial magistrate in the Bainstorm world of Earth in the Empire of Megalosh. And sorting out tangles, investigating cases, trying to clear up the mess of years of neglect. And that was uh, a level of game in which I found I was having to invent both the high-level politics and the street-level um, culture mm. of, the, of the world. And that, I think, is the most satisfactory thing, if you can strike that tone and if you can find that setting. That that you see it from both the the the, uh, the people on the streets and the and the people in high offices' point of view. Yeah, that's something we've talked about before. I I often have trouble if I start with a high level theme, um, linking it to the low level stuff without being heavy handed about it. One thing to remember is that there are always servants. Yeah, uh, I I have a more uh, a less diegetic approach, I think, um, because for me. Uh, the school history I had, and I should say that I don't know how general this was, even for the for that particular date, because it was a school that was trying to be very trendy and with it, uh, but it was deliberately non-traditional, so I never really got the classic kings and dates that would have given me a framework mm. for, you know, why is this important at this time? And it, it was much more, you know, the, the cliche, you are a peasant dying with a black death, how do you feel? <laughs> dead, dead. Pain, pain, pain to my armpit. Which wasn't even much use for passing the exams, never mind actually getting yeah. any sort of, I like this stuff. And I think to some extent I've reacted against that by adopting more traditional style. And you know, I have built my own uh, chronology of England up to the present day uh, and various things I, fa I found important just to put into context and say, yeah, th this invention happened 
and who who was on the throne then what what was the general ethos of you know yeah what how did people feel when they were told you can now produce a lot more food but somebody else is going to own most of it that sort of thing i find it very odd i don't know if it's a feature of um of modern education and uh, and but i find it very odd when people think it's odd that i can tell no that wouldn't that sentence that thought wouldn't have been phrased that way at that time, or it wouldn't have come into existence until 30 or 40 years after after you've been set. People don't seem to be taught context anymore, which is a bit dis- depressing. Uh, the the thing for me is um, a, a lot of um, fiction set in either medieval or fantasy, uh, quasi-medieval worlds, because the authors are modern people to whom God is not the most important thing in their lives, it's not the most important thing in their characters' lives, and it really should be. You know, yeah. Every little decision you make, you may find, you may well be thinking, and how, how does this affect, you know, does God want me to do this? Yeah. Um, I, I Obviously, it, God tells you you should obey your Lord the vast majority of the time, because that's only proper. But, you know, God is in there. It's not just, I'm scared of this guy. It's this is the right, yeah. the right thing to do. Or, uh, or alternatively, I am a terrible sinner and I'm going to sin all that I can manage. Because I'm damned anyway, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, having, said, having said that, yeah, we know that social is very important. We just, we just find it very hard to do except at book <laughs> Oh, well, let's see what happens. Okay. So, so I, 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 think we, I think we more or less left with Richard Cromwell. We're left with Richard Cromwell, Tumbledown Nick. Um, Richard Cromwell was inadequate to begin with. Everybody agreed with this, even he agreed with this. And there was nobody left in charge who had any claim to power that uh, could make it gel. It strikes me, from my point of view... Um, nowadays, that the idea of going back to a king might have been reasonable, but going back to a Stuart was well, just bizarre. But they they didn't have any terms of reference that didn't end up with it ought to go to the son of the last king, and so that's finally mm. well, well after a, after yeah. a bit of infighting and, and digging, well what they decided to do. Yeah, I mean, let, let us not forget George Bug because I I think he he. From what I can tell, he more or less accidentally caused the restoration. He certainly didn't intend to. But yeah, so we, we've got. Hang on, I got the impression that marching south from uh, Coldstream, um, he had uh, he had definite uh, sorting out the kingdom intentions in mind. Yes, but that was mostly sorting out um, Fleetwood and Lambert, who who were running the Rump Parliament. Yeah, and he more or less won. As far as one can see, well, he, he so, so the fun. army restores at that point not the king but the long parliament, which again is yeah the, the, Presbyter- the Presbyterians come back in. Yeah, those of them who are still alive and st- still in the country are still capable of giving a damn. And then uh, it, it has been described uh, as a miracle from a certain. De- a very wide definition. I, I, I suspect so what, what it is more accurately yeah. described as is Acts of Clarendon. 
Oh, all right. But, you know, uh, all, all of a uh, sudden, uh, Charles decides to issue a declaration in which he says various things about what he will do when he is in charge. Let us, let us uh, clear, clearly um, note at this moment in time, he does not keep up, up with many of them. Well, of course but... not. I mean, he's a steward. Um. And but, then... but, he, but, but he doesn't do it carelessly when he does betray his oath. He does it very deliberately. And carelessly. <laughs> I guess yes, he's a steward. What we ought to say, he's one of the good stewards, unlike his father. Uh, what we ought to say is that, uh, that Clarendon, who was at this moment was Edward Hyde, um, uh, was Charles's advisor in exile and his chancellor when he got back. And the biggest eminence Greece in this entire story. Oh yeah. Uh, um, who uh, who came back and uh, established established uh, the the, the re-established the royal government and wrote the history just like Churchill wrote the history mm-hmm. that he wanted uh, posterity to believe in. Yeah, it's, as, as far as I can see, the the history is that uh, Monk Monk in charge of Parliament spontaneously. Um, they, they agree that, yes, Charles II has been king since 1649 when his father was chopped and yeah. he, he would be entirely welcome to come back and be, be crowned and so on. And, yeah, this sort of thing is never spontaneous. It's just we don't have the full detail of what actually happened. Yeah, I have the feeling that it's more somebody's got to do it, so let's have the kid. Yeah, I mean, they, they were... Well, we, we know... Um, because I think part of this is fatigue, because we, we know that b- before um, Cromwell was set up as protector, there were various efforts to find somebody else who would be king, and they failed. Who uh, did they try to put up? And only one I remember is Carl, Rupert's older brother, and, well, they really didn't want to ask him. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but but there were there were various attempts along these lines, and this... the Earl of Gloucester, the Duke of Gloucester, I seem to recall, got looked at hard. But, anyway. but I think the basic problem is that this had already failed, and you know you could say, let us invite some foreigner in, but you know we're English, dash it all, we don't like to do things like that. And Not here, and, desperate. and here is this guy. And he's just made some, you know, convincing-sounding promises because we, we are idiots and we don't know what Stuart promises are worth. We, ah, don't, uh, don't, where did this national amnesia come from? <laughs> did they not actually remember what his father was like? Never mind. I, I, all right. Let us let, let, let us skip o- over that particular moment and note that um, it's ripe for alternate histories um, here, but. I don't think there was, as I said last time, I don't think anybody had any theory behind mm. how it could have been different. I, I think those they, theories come later, and I think, I think they they did it because there was nothing else in nothing else left to try. Yeah, I mean, most people alive were alive when there was last a king. They were brought up thinking having a king is just a thing you have. It's not right not to have a king. Yeah, and you know maybe he's not the best of kings, but he's still a king, and you should have a king. That's that's just yeah. that's just not right. Otherwise, all right. Let us let us um, take a look at what they got. <laughs> he is a king who has been on the run in exile and um, living off the charity of his of his continental relatives 
for the most of his life, certainly about about half of his life by this point. Mm. And uh, he, yeah, he he was born in 1630, so yeah. Yeah. And he's uh He's made various prom- promises to the Presbyterian Scots, which he also breaks, by the way, um, and got himself crowned king in Scotland on the Stone of Stone of Scone or the Stone of Stone, one or the other. And uh, uh, and he has been hanging around. Yes, with, he's not um, actually been ruling Scotland in, in any sense, but but he is crowned as. He's been uh, hanging around. He has followers over there. He has uh, gentlemen who have acted as his bodyguard and will be the basis of the Brigade of Guards uh, when it starts to be formed, along with Monk's Regiment, which gets to be the Coldstreams. He is not yet married. Ah, yes, this is an important point. He has one, at least one son by this time. Oh, of course. <laughs> various mistresses. So that, 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 that's a thing they think they don't have to worry about. But he's not. But he's not yet married. A little old not to be, not yet married. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, he he's what nineteen when his father gets chopped, yeah. and then he's been in exile. And a king in exile is not partic- a particularly great catch. True. Um, so he ca- he comes back. Uh, there is great celebration. Ships are renamed the Royal Charles and 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 other things like this. So, so pubs. So above, oh, everything, everything is re- uh, arranged. Everybody gets out the bunting and celebrate uh, bravery uh, garlands that they haven't used since uh, uh, since the Civil War, and uh, people start to rejoice. There's mass pardoning, pardon for everyone who bore arms against the king, except the regicides. And yet, we we go to the length of digging up Cromwell and Ireton and Bradshaw to hang them in chains at Tyburn, and, and, uh, but... and stick their heads on pikes so that they can rot. Until they get lost for a while. The ones who are still alive just get hanged, drawn and quartered, yeah? They're, they're, Charles, uh, I have read, was more inclined to be merciful than the Parliament was. Mm. Um, but as, and some people did manage to flee abroad, and, but some uh, made magnificent and honourable deaths in the service of the good old cause. The... We spoke last time of there being a um, an exodus of uh, chevalier cavaliers, sorry, to uh, to the southern United States. After this lot, there is a fresh exodus of dissenters, Puritans, and people who can't stand the new um, religious um, settlement to the northern United States mm. um, and other places around the world. They're, they're of the things that he of the promises he breaks. I I find the ones to be to, for religious tolerance to be the ones uh, I object to most. I, I as far as one can see, he personally was more or less in favour of religious tolerance, but he didn't feel strongly enough about it to make a fight of it with Parliament. Yeah, and par- uh, Parliament wanted to uh, to re-establish. The Anglican supremacy and one, one church for all, and there's a whole story which I know must have happened because in reading about Charles's reign, I see that that he suppresses the Presbyterian Scots, but uh, but how the Scots got back to being to their national church being Presbyterian again, 
I have no clue. It didn't even cross the the level of attention of my uh, of my school education. I'm not really that interested. Our oh, Scots listeners may be outraged, but I'm not really that interested in following following it up, except to note that it must have happened at some stage. Yeah, so I mean, we we get the Clarendon Code in the first few years of his reign, which is you know, basically yeah. all, all municipal officials must take Anglican communion and formally reject the covenant and that sort of thing. So yeah, you, basically, you, if, you, if you're a nonconformist, you're naffed. It, well into the, 19th, into the 19th century, you had to swear to, uh, to, uh, that you believed in the 39 articles um, to, in order to attend uh, the, the, the major universities. A London university was founded to um, uh, uh, to cater to the nonconformists who wouldn't or couldn't uh, swear that they, they believed in the Thirty Nine Articles. I must look up what the Thirty Nine Articles are one of these days, just for my general general education. So basically, this is a slightly new form of religious intolerance compared with what people had known under Bloody Mary, because it's saying, yeah, you can be a nonconformist as much as you like. Uh, you can be a Catholic as much as you like, but you know you you don't get to uh, have meetings for unauthorized worship. Uh, you you don't have dissenting religious groups. You don't you don't get to preach. You don't get to make converts. Essentially, you don't get to teach in schools because yeah. yeah, which, which uh, is which is you know it's still better than we are going to murder you, but it's not great. Yeah. We should note um, that 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 the uh, nonconformist, the dissenting culture, continues to exist. Um, not all of them go go to America. It continues to be strong in Wales as well as in Scotland, and that history and those distinctions are still present to an extent in our disbelieving age um, nowadays. Mm. And it's and and the distinction between. Uh, uh, between Anglican and nonconformist is also partly a class distinction and also partly a political distinction, which continues on to the present day. Yeah, but I mean, the, 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 the basic objection that people had had of, you know, we, we the, these bishops are awfully rich and basically ju- just more big landowners, well, you know, yeah. that, that's still there. We just can't do anything about it anymore. I think the, ne- the, the next eruption against the Anglican bishops is the Methodists, but that's outside the period. Anyway, the king was back. Yeah. People were allowed to have fun. And they <laughs> did. And Charles Starting did. with the king, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the characters I used in my Return of Magic game was um, Chiffinch, uh, who was one of um, one of Charles's roistering companions from uh, from his days on the continent. And who came back and became keeper of the privy stair, which was the stairs that led up to the king's quarter uh, quarters from the waterfront at uh, at Westminster. And he was run off his he, feet. Uh, he he was no, he was the uh, gentleman who saw that ladies might be admitted uh, to the king's chambers late at night. Um, I also made him the king's spymaster, uh, but the, the king. Had had half a dozen full time mistresses, uh, most of whom got made uh, into nobility, including the noted actress Nell Gwyn. Um, oh, of that great line uh, when, when confronted by by a mob uh, crying for the blood of the Catholic whore, says, "You are mistaken. I am the Protestant whore." 
Yes, I can't remember which one was that was was the Catholic Louise de Kerouac. Ah, uh, he had to, he he had the the gall to try and make his queen when he got one take uh, Lady Castlemaine, who was uh, the mother of one of his illegitimate offspring, as a lady in waiting, um, which caused the queen to faint in front of the entire court. Mm. Um, his queen was a lovely. Um, Portuguese beauty, quite innocent um, and quite outraged by the king's behaviour. She eventually, I think, settled into a position of putting up with him a lot. But, but, she but never got, also, but let, let us note she was a Catholic. She was a, she was a Catholic, and she was therefore suspected the same way his mo- mother was of being a bad influence on on, on the ruler. But of the important, two important things about her. Firstly, that she introduced tea to the British, God bless her. <laughs> and the second is that she never had a child. And this is where alternate history would be, uh, uh, a good alternate history would start with Charles actually having uh, some children. Because his brother, oh God, his brother was almost as discreet and scatterbrained as he was in, in some ways. He'd managed to get married with nobody's approval whatsoever to Clarendon's <laughs> daughter Anne, by whom he had um, he had two da- uh, uh, two two daughters who come back into the story. And he uh, and he then went off and converted to Catholicism and married another lady secretly. Yeah, this is the. Uh, he is one of the major reasons for the Royal Marriages Act, which nowadays <laughs> says if you're within a cer- certain number of, of steps of inheriting the throne, you may not get married well, without the monarch's permission. No, you may not. <laughs> um, but uh, but by the time it became clear that the Queen was not going to have any children, uh, the Duke of York, uh, James the King's brother had converted to Catholicism, and that's where the next disaster happened. Because there is, if there is disdain for the nonconformists, there is still virulent hatred for the Catholics. Yeah, I mean, let, let us not forget, this is when the Popish plot happens. I'm, and th- this oh. is really the witch hunt of its day, as far as I'm concerned. It, it's brewed up out of basically nothing uh, yeah, to, I mean, to, we, to we, get attention for the people brewing it up. Yeah, basically... Um, Basically, you get a lying sociopathic nutter who had been a trainee Jesuit at one stage, coming across. Only the Jesuits had too much sense to keep him. Yeah. Well, quite Uh, their 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 psychological profiling must have been ahead of of its time. Uh, And he comes over and starts talking that the uh, I can't remember what the papists were supposed to be plotting to do. People were going to be murdered in their beds. I know that much. There, There was a manuscript. Oh. Boy, found in found found in uh, in in the in the lattices of some, of a wall somewhere, I seem to recall, and uh, uh, and it alleged all sorts of things that the 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 papers were plotting. Honestly, uh, go and listen to Ken Height on this. Um, uh, this is the protocols of the elders of Zion of its day. It quite, is quite literally. It's not, it, it's not. It's not quite the. It's not quite as coherent as the protocols of Elders of Zion <laughs> because um, Titus Oates, who was the uh, malefactor that uh, that started stirring it up, uh, kept kept on adding things. 
when he got to the point where he said, oh, and the Queen's involved, then the King started to cut up rough a little. But by the time, uh, by the time the next monarch but, but one turns up, um, uh, Titus Oates is re-established uh, with a government pension because it was politically convenient to believe all the nonsense that he had been saying. Yeah, I mean, Charles, Charles, a few years before this, Charles has tried to... Uh, is it the... I can't remember the act now. He, he tries to, to bring in an act to say, it's just fine to be Catholic. So, and, and then Parliament forces him to withdraw it. All right. I, I, sh- I think I should mention at this moment in time that one of the things Charles was doing, juggling and paying both ends against the middle, was yeah. taking a subsidy from his cousin, the King of France... Mm-hmm. And uh, and he had promised the King of France that he would convert to Catholicism as soon as it was it was practicable, and he chose to do so. Real soon now. His deathbed. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. I, uh, you, I just just got these one or two other things to deal with. I'll, I'll be right with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not quite convenient. Yeah. Uh, but but somebody remembered when he when he fell over and started to die. Somebody remembered to send for a priest, and he converted. Um, I I I feel a sort of affection for, uh, for for Charles, as I do for a really good and skillful con man, um, <laughs> who does everything with style. And honestly, that 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 could be be the uh, the, the basis for uh, um, a position uh, for a job wanted, uh, for a, uh, a, a, a for a uh, a job ad- advertisement for for a monarch. Uh, uh, be able to be able to uh, juggle lots of balls and do it with style. It's, should... it's more important to do it with style than to keep them all in the air. Yeah, um, I should at this moment in time mention um, Captain Blood, or is it Colonel Blood, who attempted Colonel to... at this point, yeah, Colonel Blood, who attempted to steal the crown jewels, um, <laughs> got caught in the middle of it, and then insisted that he had to speak to the king on a matter of urgency. <laughs> and for some reason, the king said, "Well, yes, I will. Listen, I will speak to this rogue." And uh, they had a long conversation of several hours. Wine was sent for, and and I think Colonel Blood ended up with not only a full pardon, uh, but a pension. Um, and nobody has ever explained why. Um, I, <laughs> I, and uh, Diane Duane's husband, Peter Morwood, yeah, yeah, was going to write a book about it at one stage, which is why I know something about it. But um, mm, I don't think it I, ever happened, alas. I don't think it... It, it would have been magnificent. I, I think his his theory was an occult one, focused around the uh, Black Prince's ruby, which is actually a spinet, and part of the uh, of the crown jewels. Oh, and they had to replace the crown jewels, because Cromwell had burned all right. Yeah, I think Getting I think there are trivia. there are presently four items which predate the Civil War in the Crown Jewels, and one of them is a, is a sword from just before the Civil War. So, okay. The uh, the next crisis is when the king dies. Well, sh- shall, shall we before before we go on to that? Um, oh, did you want to do the? Yeah, go on. Drop drop down a bit um, because uh, you you mentioned opening the theatres. This is not just. The theatres are open again. This is entire new styles of yeah. drama. I mean, the the body comedy is the, is the classic. The body comedy is what gets performed most nowadays, and what is thought of. But there's a lot of worthy, um, uh, uh, sta- 
There's a lot of other stuff as well, histories mm. and uh, and tragedies and what and what have you in a new style of po- poetry. There's also women on the stage. Yeah, um, which obviously you know women. complete moral collapse of society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's actresses didn't have a good reputation um, at this time. They were regarded as next best thing to prostitutes. But they had, um, even when that was true, a certain amount of influence, and um, the king was fond of them, as I say. But it, 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 it's a great, a great flowering. I don't honestly think it, it comes to its height until about 50 years later. Mm. But, uh, uh, but this is the start of the second great age of English, English theatre. It then burn, burns out in the depths of Victorian melodrama for a while, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, are, there are good things there, there are, and there are, are bad things. But the theatre is by and large a good thing. There, there the fact, is also uh, the the thing that's even lower brow than the bawdy comedies, uh, the, the spectaculars or the machine plays, uh-huh. which is basically. There is money flowing into theatres. There, there are people who want to see dramas, and we're going to give them more. We're going to give them, you know, trapdoors, and we're going to have a naval battle right there on the stage. We're going to yeah. have people descending from the flies. You know, we're going to have fireworks. Sometimes well, the theatre will even be standing afterwards. <laughs> one of the reasons for this is that there were two legitimate licensed theatres, and then if you wanted to do other things, then you had to do something that wasn't quite the legitimate drama. <laughs> um, and, and, and the enthusiasm of the engineers got uh, taken up by, by everybody. It's a subject close to my heart, but I, de- but I think it's a specialised one. Um, so do you want to do... I wanted to say there are two more topics I want to talk okay, about, okay. Which, which are the Dutch Wars and the successions, the succession problems. Uh, the Dutch Wars were started under Cromwell and basically seemed to have been coming about um, due to the fact that there was this new wave of empire building, colonialism and exploitation of less, and less technologically advanced societies. And the Dutch were doing better at it than we were. And, mm. then, and, and basically we, we felt that we had an opportunity to do them down and do them dirty. And it, and it turned wars. out they were quite good at it. <laughs> they were so much better at it than us that they uh, that they used to uh, that they they at one stage sailed up the, the Thames and assa- assaulted the fleet in the Medway. Now, um, do, do bear in mind the the national myth of Britain as the ultimate naval power has not yet been established. In fact, it's going to be quite shortly. But even so, you know they shouldn't be doing that. They're foreigners. Dash it all. Dash it, well, dash it all. At this moment in time, I think the national uh, naval legend is is mostly based on Drake, yeah, and that, and that sort of reprobate. And as uh, as Samuel Pepys is, it would would be discovering about now, there is an immense amount of corruption and incompetence in the naval service and especially in the shipyards. And that's something that we, that that doesn't get properly fixed until the nineteenth century. Yeah, I mean, he he is trying to fix that in in so far as he is able. Uh, there there are people trying to say, you know, the the person in charge of a ship 
should either know something about sailing or at least have be required to have somebody on board who knows something about sailing. They will work better that way. I, yeah, I, and th- this is, I, of course, fiercely resisted. I would have thought that the, le- that the gentleman commander would have been... Uh... Uh, would uh, have been uh, uh, squashed firmly after after the disaster of Admiral Bembo's subordinates fleeing the scene of battle. But uh, <laughs> apparently, we had to keep repeating the message towards the upper classes. Well, th- this is also, this of course, time- the, the the shift from a a the king's ship is provided by somebody who pays for it and expects to be in command of it to the king's government actually pays for it. Yeah, they didn't want to. Hmm. Well, it's obviously a lot cheaper if you can get all the people. I mean, it's it, you, it, it's a kind of last remnant of the fealty idea, as as regiments have been, uh, yeah. but it doesn't really work very well when you when you need actual competent tactical commanders. One thing to, that's that's quite remarkable about the uh, about the restoration that we haven't mentioned. You're, you're mentioning um, regiments reminds me of it. Is that is that Charles paid. A, managed to raise enough money to pay off the army that had been hanging around all through the interregnum. Mm-hmm. Pay them off and make them go home and take up their peaceful uh, trades again. And he did it. And that, if anything counts as a miracle, that does. <laughs> there still were regiments. They started to raise new regiments and and some of them well, some of their some of them are still around, but mostly in the brigade of guards, and lots of them have uh, still active um, descendant regiments um, from uh, from then, having having gone through the great expansion of the nineteenth century and the two world wars. All right. The other thing is succession. James the second was a Catholic. And, and now, this this has been revealed by the by you know, the early sixteen eighties. Yeah, and people, uh, there was a strong movement, which uh, Charles II resisted, to the best of his his weasley ability, to uh, put the king aside, put James II aside out of the succession. But Charles resisted, and James was proclaimed king. The the second uh, James the second. Of England and the seventh of Scotland. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've had the exclusion bill, uh, which, which attempts to. Um, I can't remember exactly what it says, but basically, it says, "Not James." Yeah, it doesn't even say not uh, not anybody who cannot uh, cannot be a member of the, who is not a member of the Church of England. That happens later. It just says not James. This also leads to Charles II dissolving Parliament, which is, you know, you would think he might think about what his father had done in that situation. He manages to uh, to dissolve Parliament quite successfully. He doesn't meet very much uh, during his reign, but when when it does, it has actual power. And because James is proclaimed, he... I've never been able to get a clear um, picture of this because all my textbooks were written by people who weren't interested in these issues or by <laughs> Protestants. Um, but I've never been able to get a clear idea of what James was trying to do, whether it would be uh, whether he was obviously trying to re-establish um, Catholic uh, the Catholic religion as the compulsorily religion, his, his own state of mind. 
all he, he he wanted to allow Catholics to be officers. He wanted to remove the Catholic disabilities. He wanted tolerance. The, this that is the same thing that Charles has already tried to do, and no, nobody, I think, now is accusing Charles of, of wanting to have a Catholic revolution. He just wants them to shut up uh, yeah. and stop bothering him. But uh, uh, but, J- James, but James is actually a Catholic. Yeah, and uh, and and I I can't get a clear idea of his personality from from the sources um, that that I've been exposed to. I don't know. I don't know if he had a long term plan or if he was just trying to achieve what he could. I don't know if under other circumstances he might be regarded as a good monarch. And on the other hand, there are the bloodiest sizes. Well, he, it is not his fault that he has Monmouth. It is his fault what he did about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Monmouth, the Duke of Monmouth, was one of uh, Charles's illegitimate sons. I think the, the senior one. And one whose mother had alleged on her deathbed that Charles had married her, honest to, to goodness. And the Duke of Monmouth raised uh, an army mostly in the West Country, Cornwall and the West Country, and started marching up towards London and then got thoroughly suppressed. And this is also uh, coordinated with um, Earl of Argyll. In Scotland? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, um, the, the Scottish one is not huge. I mean, he, he, gets, he gets as far as uh, in Shannon. Uh, but the, the idea was certainly that it was meant to be an overall coordinated thing yeah and what happened afterwards was called the bloody assizes when um when james james's uh judges especially judge jeffries hung and and um and transported large numbers of people um based more on enthusiasm than evidence yeah and i think there's an interesting contrast here you know Charles has said, all right, you took up arms against my father, but that's all in the past now. I, I need you as part of this country. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's not explicit that way, but that, that's, the, that's, the, that's how I put it in modern language. And James is saying, no, not having it. You, well, the... you, you, you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I want to get rid of all of this poison, in effect. Well, I think the difference was that Charles was a lot more secure on his throne, as yeah. it turns out. And uh, and that it was right at the moment. It's easier to forgive people 10, 15 years later mm-hmm. than it is at the, at the time when the insult um, and the rebellion is fresh in the mind. Sure. But eventually, Parliament, what would become the Whig Party, the, the, the party that wasn't sympathetic towards the, uh, the, the court and the, the powers of the king, started arranging things, started talking to people, and then organised the most polite coup d'etat in human history. Uh, let, let us not forget, James does not, does not, for most of this time, have a son. Oh, oh you're, you're quite right. The inciting incident, I forgot, is that James gives birth to a son. There is well, a... Queen, Queen Mary. <laughs> All right, I didn't want to cut... I cut her out, it was most unfair. Queen gives birth to a son. There are immediately rumours that it's not not actually the king's son. 
Uh, because uh, because um, somebody smuggled a baby in in a warming pan. And this remind you know what this reminds me of. This reminds me of the conviction of the American right wing that uh, uh, Barack Obama could not possibly be a valid candidate for for president, and they can't come out and say because because he's black, you know. Uh, but mm. they do come out and uh, come out with this nonsense about his his um, birth certificate and him having him having born in Kenya or something like like that. Because they believe in their hearts that he that he cannot possibly they that their country cannot possibly elect a black president, and yeah. in the same way, the Protestants felt that uh, the Catholic king could not possibly have a val- have a a valid male heir who could be raised Catholic, or at least shouldn't really shouldn't because where when he's got two daughters, well, I I don't I can't remember where the line of succession goes at that point, but it's. You know, this it, it, it went, well where it, where it eventually went. His daughters had been raised Protestant, and so were acceptable. But uh, also, also, you know, they are going to marry somebody, or that the line of succession doesn't go through them. So, and, uh, unless, unless you run out of male heirs. Oh uh, well. But if he's yeah. got a son, then that son is it, and he is going to be raised Catholic. Yeah. And, and that, oh crap! Now we have a dynasty. Yeah, and it's to prevent that dynasty that the uh, uh, the aforementioned peaceful-ish res- a revolution, the, the glorious revolution of 1688, happens. Oh, and it is so peaceful that at one stage, I believe some um, Thames fishermen managed to capture James as he was fleeing after having thrown the uh, crown jewels into the Thames and abandoned the country. They captured him, took him, uh, took him in, See if they could get a reward. We're told to no, take him and put him back where you found him and let him go. <laughs> um, Be- because well, some of that is because uh, okay, William, Prince of Orange, was yeah. married to the aforementioned elder daughter of James hmm. Anne. Oh, sorry, Mary. And and at this point, uh, and and he, and he knows perfectly well that if if he hangs on to James, he's going to have to execute him, and then he's got a martyr on his hands. <laughs> and look, that didn't do anybody any good the last time. So you know, yeah, bog off, bog off over to Louis. He he'll he'll take you in. Yeah. <laughs> um. The the his his heirs and successors kept coming back and being what were called pretenders to the throne and. Raising uh, troops in Scotland and generally making a nuisance of them. So you have the fifteen and the forty-five coming out of this. Yeah, but uh, that's not really relevant for this current story. Yeah, that's after the Germans took over. Um, the point being that uh, William and Mary formed a joint monarchy, which is the only time we've ever had this, and it was to um, square the circle of. William being the uh, the military mover and her being the actual legitimate successor ish. Mm. According uh, after uh, depending on uh, how after, you feel about women inheriting, and, and how you feel about the Parliament being the ones to decide who is in, who is in charge, because that's what this establishes. It establishes that who Parliament says is in charge is in charge, and. Um, that subtext is underneath all the royal folderols and foodledoodles that continue for up to up to the present day. Parliament is says who is in charge. 
Parliament decides the succession, and this is where it starts. Ultimately, one could regard this as the actual parliamentary victory in the overall block of things that one could call the civil wars. Yeah, uh, but this is this is where we start getting... We get the first Bill of Rights here, which says things like uh, Protestants may arm themselves um, to defend themselves against Catholics, uh, which the Americans... Uh, <laughs> We, 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 this, this is also when we get the explicit no Catholic may, may sit on the English throne and no English monarch may marry a Roman Catholic. Yep. Um, and you disqualify yourself from, uh, from succession if you, if you do. The, uh, huh, the, whole, uh, the whole ethos of uh, the William and Mary period is a little odd. Partly because William didn't like girls that much and was much happier going off and building up the navy and um, building up uh, uh, building up the army and conquering uh, Ireland again, for which some Irishmen uh, celebrate him to this day, though not a majority. <laughs> um, oh, did I mention that when Cromwell was fighting the Dutch, he actually went over and offered the Dutch... A, uh, a a co uh, a co dominium a, a a unification under the Commonwealth uh, of the the Dutch and English nations, which reminds me of Churchill doing the same to the French as they were collapsing beneath the assault of the of the Wehrmacht. So is... yeah, William has the nine years' war to deal with, oh. which, which means that Mary does an awful lot of the actual ruling of England, which is probably a good thing. Hmm. But as I say, he didn't like girls that much and there were no children. Which brings us on to Parliament deciding, all right, then let us have good Queen Anne. And Queen Anne is one of the sad figures of this whole reforming, stylish period in that she can have children, but she can't have any that live. Um, She's pregnant, I think, 14 times. Uh, none of her children lived lived to adulthood. The few um, grow uh, grow to infancy, and uh, she is um, greatly admired. She is not as active in politics as her sister was and her ancestors were, but she is the last of the Stuarts. I don't think anybody has anything bad to say about Good Queen Anne, but then I've never tried to read. Oh, there's all that stuff about her favourites and her relationship with uh, with Lady Churchill, but um, the Duchess of Marlborough. Uh, but this is a sort of the sad end of this of the whole period. And yeah, you... Lady Churchill's memoirs are generally accepted as uh, describing Anne as a horrible person, and this is almost certainly true. Until sort of ooh, mid to late twentieth century, they start being reassessed. But uh, yeah. all right, okay. Um, well, in that but, case, but, obviously, they're not what I speak of. But there is, you know, there is. She's a Stuart, but she's a female Stuart, so so she doesn't have whatever it is that causes them to r- run about um, being flashy. Yeah, she is dumpy and reliable and. Um... And, and no bother to anybody. This is this rather than the uh, subsequent uh, reign of the Georges, who didn't speak English to start with, 
is sort of the beginning of parliamentary and cabinet and prime ministerial government. Um, at least, but also lots, lots of great things happen during this period. I mean, um, such as. For example, when William comes over and is reasonably established on the throne, a whole a whole lot of Dutch weavers come over and settle. Flemish weavers, especially, come over and settle in England. And the government introduce introduce encourages the introduction of gin. Yeah, uh, if you if you call that that a good thing, which which some people decide they did, it makes people's lives happier and shorter. Particularly given the quality pay. of it at the time. Yeah. You don't you don't have to pay pensions. Yeah, we 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 start getting yeah things like the Royal Society. We start getting actual scientists rather than just the occasional. The Royal Society Society was 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 Charles's idea, and so was Newton in a way. Since Newton was was a heretic, an Arian, and couldn't sign to the twenty three articles, thirty nine articles. One of that that number of articles. And, uh, and Charles had to give him a special permission to become the Lucasian Professor of Mathematics at Cambridge and actually have a living. Um, and, and he later made him uh, Master of the Mint, which was good for the Mint and good for, for Newton. Yeah. The, Royal, the Royal Society is a, is a prime example of things that you should include in your games. And all right. I've, founded I've, I've, by, let us remember, Rupert of the Rhine. <laughs> yeah, well, found, found, founded at the upstairs room above the lodge uh, at my college in Oxford, Wadham. I think I ought to, I ought to mention just that <laughs> parochial pride. Uh, the All right, I, I've run to the end, end of this, and I, uh, I think we've given a general exposition of the, the high history and some of the low. Yeah, I, I, I think use this people will will argue differently over what counts as the Restoration period. I mean, you could say it's just Charles, or you could just okay say it's just a little Glorious Revolution. But I think one of the impressive things about the Glorious Revolution, and I think possibly one of the reasons why the name has persisted, is that it, other than in the no, no, the new king is not going to be tolerant of Catholics, but nor is he going to persecute them. In, in others, it's yeah, more. It's, the thing is, it's more or less business as before. It's yeah. it's not you know, the new king is here and he's going to reverse all the stuff the old king did, which people have got quite tired of by this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a very business like uh, change of gear. Uh, I I you get the feeling that that Charles knew how far he could push, and mm. how uh, how far he could let other people push, and James didn't know that. Mostly because he didn't have any allies in Parliament, didn't have. There was not much of a party of of the king at that point of time, and um, people put up with him and respected him, in as much as they did because, as we said at the start, they thought they needed the king, and they thought he was it. All right. Not so I mean, on the one hand, yeah, all right, we get Rochester. And uh, don't don't knock Rochester. He does some bloody good poetry before he dies of VD at the age of thirty three. Yeah, but but we also get Afrobain. True. Uh, arguably, first novel in English. There there is some argument about what you count as an actual novel, but certainly among the yeah. first, uh, certainly first by a female writer, and and a whole bunch of people are inspired by her to say, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm a woman and I'm going to write something too. Dash it all. 
And also a spy. Well, well yeah, but not a very really good one. All right. <laughs> And and none of this, unlike the modern day, is done to distract the people from their oppression. It, it's just a change in the national mood. Yeah, and uh, sunshine again in America, which which conned the Americans even though they were suffering at the time. Um, role-playing possibilities and uses of the period. This is sort of not quite high swashbuckler, but there is a... But there is a lot. But it is still part of the golden age of piracy. Mm. Partly because oh, yeah. of the partly because of the weakness of the of the Royal Navy until it starts getting reformed and starts figuring out how to do what it needs to do. Um, but that's really are, sort of seventeen twenty or so. But really, the end of it. Yeah, but all right. All through all, all through the, uh, this period, there are outlying places that uh, where. Criminals can occupy perfectly good ports and make a profitable living out of raiding people's um, raid, raiding people's shipping. And this is the Spanish a, treasure fleet, sir. Oh dear, this is not a normal. <laughs> this is not a normal state of things. This is not how the world always proceeds. Piracy outbreaks of piracy are, are always unusual mm. um, because people. They like having their ships uh, sunk and stolen. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, I, I think is, it would be... F- is, it, it, there's a technological aspect to this as well, because it, at this date, I mean, really, as late as... It's just about still true in the Napoleonic era, but certainly now, it, the difference between a warship and a merchant ship is not that great. Yeah. And you, you can capture a merchant ship and refit it as a warship, and that is not a stupid thing to do. Uh, at least for some ships. So, also, of course, you you can do an awful lot of um, field repairs. I mean, you, you, you can cut down a tree and make a new mast without going near a shipyard. That, yeah. that, that sort of uh, field-fixable technology gives you the possibility of, yeah, we, we're just going to, you know, live on this wild island and, and um, catch the occasional pig when we feel hungry and then go out and raid. And we, and we can keep our ship fixed up. Yeah, it, it, there's also a lot of there's a lot of other wars which don't directly concern us, but they that but they are happening over on the American continents. There's a lot of expansion of empire into India and the East, and there's a lot of stories to be uh, played around those. In in England, there are highwaymen. Um, mm. This is before we start. When did the Bow Street Runners start? Oh, quite a bit later. Um, yeah, I used to know this stuff. Well, la- later it's, it's a while until um, until the suppression of highwaymen becomes more than a slightly random. Henry, uh, Henry Fielding, seventeen forty nine. Yeah. Oh, uh, a century, slightly less than a century from now. But um, so so highwaymen still still exist. I can't actually imagine a highwayman based um, role playing game because um, how do you get a team of highwaymen? Well, not easy. Mm, yeah. Also, what scenarios do you have? I mean, I I can see stand and deliver, and the the. Um, the the victim turns out to be better armed than you expected as an interesting tactical exercise. 
but I, d- I don't see a lot of variation there. Your, your typical highwayman is, as with the pirates, they don't they don't want to fight. They they want they want to turn up with what appears to be overwhelming force and say, "Yes, you could fight us, but it's going to be so much less trouble if you just hand over the jewels now." Yeah. Um, other uh, there are occult opportunities galore. Uh, the the royal the royal society is collecting all sorts of information, those that 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 turns out to be valid and that ter- that turns out to be bollocks, uh, with equal enthusiasm, <laughs> and uh, uh, and publishing New- Newton and his angels. Uh, yeah, oh God. Well, yeah, as I said, <laughs> I, I I ran my Return of Magic uh, game based on Newton Newton actually discovering some sort of principle. Um, and then blowing up a new, uh, blowing up uh, Trinity Top College, Cambridge, uh, largely in the process of restoring magic uh, to the world. John Dalman's Infinite Cabal campaign starts with uh, New- Newton working out the mathematics of interworld travel and, and getting in touch with the Cabal. Uh, well, you may have the, heard the, of me. The, there is um, at least one of the GURPS Infinite Worlds. Uh, settings as of seven has basically Newton causes an alchemical revolution and there are now flying ships and things. Yeah, I, I, the, I he, he is he is an easy jumping off point for this sort of thing because he believes so so much really weird stuff. Yeah, not, not to mention a robust policy on experimenting on himself. If if, if you if you have if you get squicked by eye injury, do not read about Newton's experiments on himself. Uh, <laughs> He, yeah, those, those are. Yeah, he, you can build almost anything off him, and probably somebody will claim it was true. Yeah, I think I think that there would be something to be said for being the clear-up crew for the uh, uh, for the king of the weird stuff that went down during the uh, during the Cromwellian period. Um, if you depict the interregnum as a being slightly wilder slightly more oppressive and slightly more evil time than it actually was, um, then you could get a group of, uh, of bold heroes to go out and sort it out. Or, of course, you could discover that Cromwell was a decent chap and he was the one who was keeping down all the vile, evil, occult, whatchamacallitness. And uh, the king hasn't quite got it and you're the ones who are going to go, have to go out and cover that up. I, if if you're a fan of the Catherine Kurtz style of aristocratic magic, then well, you know you've got aristocrats who haven't had a chance to do their their traditional rituals for for the last eleven years, and poss- possibly be, more than that because of the war. That could, that could be both. Uh, that could be both very uh, very good and very bad. For I mean, if the uh, depending on the yeah, depend, depending on what effect those rituals were having and what they were preventing from happening. I mean, you, you can spin this depending on your personal sympathies and who you want to be the heroes of this story. You know, they they can they can be oppressing something that was useful and that has now got enough gumption to be self-sustaining, or maybe they were letting something out that now needs to be suppressed. In fact, those could be the same thing. So, <laughs> if the uh, yeah, if the if the nobles have the ability to tap the mana flow to provide their own charisma, if the mana flow has been untapped for a period of time. Then you might get a large explosion, scattering magic to all sorts of hoi polloi and, and, and lower class plebs. Uh, ghastly, my dear chap. Go and clear that up. The the witch manias do seem to fade quite a bit. 
Um, there, yeah. there, there isn't. I mean, there, there's a bit of local stuff, but it's it's not it's not the thing it has been. I mean, I, I think to some extent for that we can blame James first, uh, uh, yeah. because he 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 was sufficiently obsessed with witches that and and talked about this obsession a lot that yeah. it was obviously a thing that was people were being reminded of. And when when that went away, I'm, I don't say that persecution stopped completely because inconvenient old women are still inconvenient old women. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and people did believe uh, Matthew Hopkins when he turned up and said, hello, I, I have a piece of paper here that says I'm the Witchfinder General. Uh, it, I mean, when are the... Salem? No, no, I'm just thinking about witchcraft acts. There isn't actually any change in the law. Um, until 1735, which which is the great reversal, which is basically um, rather than it is a crime to be a witch, uh, it becomes it is a crime to claim that you can call up spirits or whatever because th- because this is obvious nonsense and you're using it to um, yeah get power over people. In other words, you're a con artist. Uh, but yeah, that that's not till 1735. But at that point, you know, no, nobody is objecting to it. The yeah the the witch mania is a very peculiar is a very peculiar thing and its roots in religion are also peculiar but the uh, we where we are well aware that uh, that it's it has its psychological manifestations in the present day as well yeah um, again if 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 you uh, want, wanted to bring real real world religion into it um, the Catholics are. They've haven't had a great time under the Commonwealth, but uh, there is a lot less tolerance of them now than there was then. Yeah, um, quite plausible. You you could have you could have an oppressed group of that, or indeed other other um, non Anglicans that, that your various flavours are nonconformist. Yeah, um, one of the things that uh, Charles does that is uh, less than admirable is to reverse uh, for a while Cromwell's tolerance of the Jew- Jews mm-hmm. and expel them from England again but um i think that it's it's a it's doesn't last long enough um to to change the feeling that cromwell's toleration was the start of a continuous jewish uh population in england mm. or, All right. or i might say open because i'm sure i'm sure there always were some who, who were pretending not to be there's definitely here. There's definitely room here for games of um, court intrigue and romance, and dueling and conspiracy. I find, on the whole, that or adultery the, dressed as romance. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I always felt that uh, that chivalric love was adultery, uh, but but without the actual bonking. So um, <laughs> there seems to have been plenty of bonking as well. Well, yeah. I a, a term, let us note, invented by Neil Gaiman when he was writing for Time Out, when when they needed a word they couldn't be sued over, but whatever, but everybody would understand what it meant. Well, let us let us say, say huzzah and drink a toast to that benefactor to the English language. Um, the uh, yeah, but as I was going to say, the that the the thing that puts me off the doing any sort of court-based game is I'd have to learn about clothing. <laughs> about furbelows and and flounces and bits of lace and and what was in fashion in particular periods 
And as you'll know, Roger, and as all those who know me will know, I am a, a devotee of the Church of the Holy Slob. Um, and I oh, do I don't know. Like... You, you brush up quite well. I've seen you do it. Yeah, yeah. I you don't want to. Neither do I. But we can. Yeah, I can. All right. <laughs> I, I I really wish I had worn that Arabic dress to Tom and Teddy's wedding, though. Oh, my. Um, the, uh, the whole thing... Uh, yeah, that that that's a, that sort of game is not a thing that I I, I sympathise with. I I couldn't even get into the Jane Austen role playing that uh, that you enthused about, which is sad. I, mean, I, think, I, I think one can do if you step down a bit from there. Yeah. Um, you've got quite a lot, as we've mentioned, for the Royal Society and so on. You've got it's not class mixing really yet. Though you you are starting to get the rich merchants types being yeah. a factor, but you 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 have you know scientific societies. Um, you the the Royal Society most obviously. Yeah. Uh, you you have people getting together basically because this is we we want to learn about this stuff rather yeah. than to talk about God or whatever or to plot rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> People who talk, uh, get together to talk about God are the nineteenth century, uh, generally. Um, and and they, if and and if they're not Anglicans, then they're banned from doing so. <laughs> ah. And, and if they are Anglicans, they better make sure, damn sure they've got a license from the local bishop. I was mentioning Methodism earlier. Are there any other things we can do with this that you would like to mention? Um. Well, you, you, using the the framework we talked about last time, we, we've talked about games to, you can set in this setting with, yeah. with, with or without a bit, bit of a cult extra. Um, are there ideas we can take from it into other settings? The idea of the restoration of the king is all is shot through just about all fantasy fiction uh, from Tolkien on uh, forwards and backwards. Yeah, I think the way it's usually presented is what one might call a conservative approach of once we put the king back on the throne, everything is going to be right the way it was before. Yeah. And, of course, it never is. True. <laughs> so... it's, it, it isn't in The Lord of the Rings. Now, now let's be... You, mm. get a, you get a golden age, but it's not the, the golden age that there was before. Yeah. Um, I think you can... You could do a large-scale um, story in which restoring the king isn't just uh, issuing some proclamations and uh, send it, sending the fleet over to pick him up, but requires some sort of occult, um, uh, some sort of occult and secret preparations or some sort of ongoing effort to suppress the evil that was done in the in-between times. And for that matter, if if we look at the uh, Stuart Risings, I, I think you get a lot of Americans who are quite romantic about this as a concept. Uh, so so, but that's also an idea that most most people are happy with the king they've got, but you and your small band of uh, people who know, know the truth and, and who want to bring the true king back. Yeah, I think in the modern age, um, the best thing you could do with the king is have him in secret. I have. This idea of a uh, of a story involving uh, the the successors to Emperor Norton, who are still wandering around in the same battered old coat that he, <laughs> he was given, and the same same battered hat, but who are still the secret rulers uh, of America, 
and take charge of all sorts of interesting occult things. That's a safe sort of king to have. Yes, but what what's the adventurous potential there? Uh, servants of the of the of the Emperor Norton um, a TV <laughs> series coming to somewhere near you. Um, the yeah, the idea of getting rid of a king is uh, is one that. Hmm. If you want to look at it in magical terms, that then you could say that not having a king has caused a gap and you know, maybe it's going to heal yeah. over maybe things are going to try to move into it but so, certainly it seems to be the case in reality and I don't see why it wouldn't be in an occult system model on reality that there was a strong feeling that you ought there ought to be a king yes dash it all if we don't have a king where are we then I, I, I think there might be something to um, to be played with if um if the king, if the new king is trying to um, gather the objects of power, the seven magical um, doodads that you have to have, the, 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 plot, the fantasy uh, quest plot tokens are necessary to complete the investiture of the king, and somebody else is going for it too. In fact, I think it might be more fun playing the somebody else than it would to be on the side of the, of the returned king. The campaign that I'm coming up with at this point, because of my nasty, twisty mind, is you know you 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 are one of one of the uh, true believers who who helped bring the true king back to power. Yeah. And now he is gathering the things that will 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 uh, make make his investiture proper. And and you're noticing there's something about him now that now that he doesn't need to persuade you to stay on side anymore. Do you, do you really actually want this guy to be king? Do you, do you want him to have the absolute magical power that he's going to have when he has the seven parts of the MacGuffin? Yeah. Um, look what he's done with the first two parts. Oh, my God, what can we do? And then the revolutionaries come up to you and say, have you considered investing in the brotherhood of all mankind? <laughs> you too can be saved. I, it... It's a the Michael Moorcock would have had the had the seven uh, doodads destroyed in a climactic uh, collapse, and then said, "Now, now, now is no longer the time for kings. Now, now, man must look after himself." Yes, I forgot to mention women. Never mind. Uh, is, is there another Cromwell somewhere? No, no, we executed them all. Uh, um, who, who else have we got to be a not not a king? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, th- I, I think my, Michael Moorcock was more for kill it, killing all the kings and killing all the gods as well. He, well, it's fine he, if you can make it stick. Yeah. Though th- th- he did give uh, a, a sympathetic portrayal of uh, monarchy in Gloriana, though not a conventional one, as I recall. <laughs> okay. Shall we move on? Yeah. Well, I did say at the start of that I wanted to um, keep it short, but I don't seem to have been able to. We got enthusiastic. We got involved. We liked showing off. If you'd like to show off to us your knowledge of what was happening in any interesting period of history, I'm thinking of the Napoleonic period, actually, next. Um, We've we've had a suggestion which I shall not reveal just yet. 
oh boy <laughs> i gotta do research you know at least oh at yeah least at, definitely at, for this one okay we shall be back again next month in the high blazing summer of august i know uh, no, we will be suffering we'll try and do to do it quietly if you want to say anything to us, you can contact us at... Uh, leave a message on the website or email uh, podcast at tekeli.ly. And we'll be back again, as I just said, the next time.